The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Wow, it's been a little while since I've done an episode, and I'm really excited to be back. We've got a great episode today. I have a special guest from CELPIP. Yes, the Canadian English Language Proficiency Test. Uh, Brandy Robb, how are you, Brandy? I am very well, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing on this lovely Friday morning? <laughs> Wonderful. I looked out the window today and I saw snow on the ground. Every time I see it, I kind of have mixed feelings. So one is, you know, the feelings of, oh, it's cold. Uh, are, how, are the vehicles going to start? And then the other is it just it just makes everything fresh when when the snow drops. So yeah. how are things yeah. where, where you I are? I love you, a good place. You're in, you're in British Columbia, right? Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in Vancouver, and of course, we normally get lots of rain, but right now we're entering into a cold snap, and I don't think it'll be half as cold as it probably is in Calgary, but we are dipping down to about minus five degrees this weekend, which is a big deal for us, uh, our West Coasters here. So I'm looking forward to it, but I know lots of people are not. I can imagine. <laughs> so we'll have to see. Yes, people go there to avoid the cold weather, so excellent. Well, yes. I'm really, really happy to have you here. Um Everyone today, uh, Brandy is going to come on here with us and share us some study and test taking tips, which everybody knows at this stage that, uh, you know, English language is a pillar to anything you want to do with respect to Canadian immigration. So if you're coming to study, if you're coming to immigrate, um, citizenship, all these things, language forms a critical part. And it makes sense because when you're coming to Canada to settle, one of the strongest indicators of success is your ability to speak the English language and your mastery of it. So we're super happy to have Brandy here. Um, we're going to touch on the CELPIP test as well as the KALE, which is the um, the examination, the academic test that's accepted by most of the major Canadian universities and colleges for post-secondary study. And uh, Brandy, uh, currently Brandy, you're working as the content developer and online instructor at Prometric Testing, uh, and and that's the the organization which administers the CELPIP and CALE tests. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. I have been with uh, Prometric for I guess close to three years now, and my job as an online instructor is to provide lots of free interactive instruction with anybody who's looking to prepare for one of these language tests. So I do a lot of presentations on Zoom and YouTube and Instagram and podcasts like this with organizations like yourself. So it's tons of fun. And it's a great way to, again, just provide people with a sense of what the tests are all about. And then, of course, what skills you would need to be successful. So that's how I spend most of my days. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds wonderful. As a former teacher myself, before I became a lawyer, um, there's nothing better than being able to help people uh, succeed. And um, you've been at this for quite a few years. I understand you've been an educator for over 20 years and you have your BA, your BA, BED, which I hold as well before I went to law school. But you, you, you've, your, your focus, your major was in English. 
That's right. Yes. Yeah. I'm from Northern Ontario. So I actually completed my undergraduate degree and my teacher certification in my hometown at the university there. I actually trained to be an elementary school teacher and I did teach elementary school for about five years in Northern Ontario. But then my twin sister moved west to Vancouver. She's a teacher too, by the way, <laughs> and I was missing her. So I, uh, I moved over to Vancouver in 2004 and fell into language instruction, but at the adult level. And I've always enjoyed teaching, but making that transition from children to adults for me was a very positive move. I loved working with kids, but I think working with, with adult uh, students, if you will, or test takers in my case now, uh, it, it sort of drives me. It's nice to be a part of that success story to see people uh, have their goals in mind and then helping them achieve those goals by establishing a step-by-step -step plan. So I'm, I love what I do now. It's, it was a very good move for me and it, it's worked out quite well. <laughs> very cool. <clears throat> That's awesome. You know, I, when I have uh, immigration lawyers and others who work in the immigration industry join me, I usually ask them, well, you know, how did you get into this? And in many instances, um, people kind of fall into it because they end up getting their first job with a firm that does immigration law or they had prior experiences immigrating themselves in some cases or even helping family and they just fall in love with the area. And I have to assume that it's similar to you uh, in the realm of, of English language instruction and training that, uh, you know, you were in the right place at the right time and then one thing led to another and... And, uh, and now you're, uh, you're, you're providing awesome assistance to people who are navigating their way through this process. Can you tell us a little bit yes, more? That's right. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the tests that you, you know, that you guys have the CELPIP and the kale, like most people, I think when they're immigrating outside of Canada, IELTS comes to mind right off the bat, but yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about the CELPIP and the kale tests and kind of what the purpose for each test is? Sure. So we'll start with the CELPIP as it's definitely much wider known. So the CELPIP is an English language proficiency test that's taken largely for immigration purposes. So a lot of those live sessions I instruct that I mentioned, a lot of my test takers that I work with personally, most of them I would say are taking the CELPIP test because they're applying for their permanent residency status here in Canada. So the CELPIP test is one test that is accepted by the IRCC for uh, those purposes. The CELPIP score, though, can also be used for a couple of other purposes. So we do have people that are applying for Canadian citizenship, so they could take the CELPIP and then use that score to apply. The CELPIP can also allow people to earn a professional designation in their chosen field. And even some post-secondary institutions here in Canada will accept the CELPIP score to allow people to study there at the first year university level. There's actually um, a list of all of the professional organizations and institutions that accept the, the CELPIP score right at the CELPIP.ca website. So for people wondering if their end goal in mind is suitable, they can certainly double check there. Um, the KALE is another test that Prometric also administers, but the KALE has a completely different purpose. It's designed predominantly for, again, post-secondary studies here in Canada. So being an academic test, the KALE does require a much higher level of both critical thinking and language skills, so vocabulary and understanding and so on. Again, we've got lots of free webinars and instruction to help people prepare for both tests, but it's nice for people to know that these options exist. They can plan themselves accordingly as to what they're taking the test for. That's perfect. And we'll make sure that uh, we get some of those links from you and we'll put those in the show notes uh, when we launch this yeah. podcast. So 
Uh, just check below if you're wondering, how do I get access to all of this amazing resources that Brandy's talking about? We'll have links below in the description for you. Okay, well, why don't we start with this sell-up? So, you know, for my purposes and most people that are listening to this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, we link CELPIP to immigration. So how is the test structured and um, which language skills does it cover? Right. So there are two, I, I would call versions of CELPIP, if you will. So again, depending on whether you're applying for permanent residency status in Canada or citizenship, you have to register for the correct version of the test. So the most common one, again, would be our permanent residency applicants. So they're going to register for the CELPIP general test. And that test is an exam that assesses all four major language components. So we're talking about the listening, the reading, the writing, and the speaking. The test itself is what we call a functional language test. So the types of English communications that you're demonstrating on these tests would be the same skill sets that you would need to be successful on a day-to-day -day basis. Whether you're communicating in the workplace or with family or with friends and so on, that's what we mean by day-to-day. -day. For those that are applying for their citizenship, they would register for the CELPIP General LS, and LS just stands for listening speaking. So again, people um, pursuing citizenship need only assess those two components, the listening speaking. So that test, of course, is a lot shorter, <laughs> given that it's half half the uh, the workload. But again, that's the way that the test is structured. It is quite a long exam. Like it's a major, major test. But you'll walk through all sections. You'll be given questions on the test. You'll be answering them right there on the computer screen as well, and work through them in order until you're done, basically. That's a that's a good segue. So. Is the test an online test and can test takers complete the test from home or do they actually go into no, a center? Yeah, so for the, the CELPIP test, it has to be done in a testing center. So the IRCC would not accept any score by a, a test taker who has done this at home. It's not possible, at least at this point in time. Who's to say down the road what might happen? But yes, there are test centers all over the, the globe, really. And again, uh, at our website, you'll see a a map and a list of all of the countries and the regions that have these testing centers as well. So one would book a session at a testing center and enter the room and complete that test as well. It's 100% online. There are no paper and pen versions whatsoever. So even the speaking sections, interestingly enough, are completed right at the computer. And I will reassure people wondering if self is for them that at no point during this test will they ever come face to face with a human reader ever. So for speaking, imagine yourself sitting in front of your computer workstation at the testing center. You're wearing a headset. That's how you'll listen to the activities for the listening components. There's a microphone attached to the headset. And when we're asked to speak and deliver those responses, we're actually just recording our voices. And it's the recordings that will be listened to later on by the raters. There are multiple raters that would assess and provide a score for those sections. So it's, it's a benefit, we say, of taking the CELPIP in the sense that if you're the type that would get nervous sitting across from somebody assessing your language skills, that's not going to happen on CELPIP. Hopefully that's reassuring anyway. <laughs> well, that's reassuring for me. I think we all, you know, I remember going through law school and the professors loved using what we call the Socratic method, which basically you had to come to law school prepared so that you've read all of the cases, you knew all of the facts, and you were prepared to answer on the spot. So you didn't know what was coming. You didn't know. It wasn't like you raising your hand. I have an answer. They would like say, Mark, can you please tell us what the ratio was for that case? And it was super stressful. 
And, uh, you know, lots of people have test anxiety to start with. So when you have a live person in front of you, I can imagine how, how stressful that would be, but it's great to hear. And I wasn't aware of that distinction between the two tests Mm -hmm. that, that the cell PIP does Mm -hmm. not require you to face a, a little bit of an intimidating situation of a live person who holds your future in their hands, listening and, you know, and, right. uh, and, you know, communicating directly with you that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially you can imagine you would not have to worry about making eye contact or what your body language is saying. So all of those things are put to rest. And I mean, as you say, public speaking can be daunting for anyone. Imagine taking this test when English is not even your first language. And you're adding all that extra layer of pressure. So again, sitting in your self-contained little uh, in front of your computer in the testing room is definitely helpful. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so how does the scoring work for the test? And are are all the questions assessed by raters? And maybe you could explain raters to the to the audience as well. Right. So when we say raters, the raters are the the humans, the examiners, if you wanted to call them that, that are actually assessing the productive skills that we're doing. So writing, there are two writing tasks that uh, somebody would complete on this test. So you would complete the writing submissions on the computer. They get automatically recorded under your test submission. And then those writing samples are going to be read through and assessed later on by the raters. There will be at least four different professionally trained raters to give uh, the score for the writing. Likewise, with the speaking, we'll be recording. There are eight speaking responses to complete. So again, you complete all of them. The eight recordings you make are listened to later on by at least three different readers. That's where the score will be generated from. The other two components, so the reading and the listening, most of those questions are multiple choice style. So the computer is actually what's scoring those. The computer is programmed to recognize what the right answer is, and you would earn one point per correct answer that you deliver. So by the time the entire test is finished, of those four components of language, a uh, test taker would receive an individual score in each of them. And there are 12 levels available. So the top score you might achieve in CELPIP is a level 12. And if you are earning level 12 in anything, it means you are a very expert communicator in the English language. Uh, there's no pass or fail. I mean, a lot of the test takers I work with, of course, are stressed about their score. They want to do well and achieve top marks. And I always get the question, is there a pass or, or a fail grade? We say, no, nope, there's no pass or fail. It really depends on your purpose for taking this test and what score you're aiming for. So again, you are the immigration expert, Mark, uh, beyond my own uh, knowledge of the system. But I would say on average, most of the test takers I work with that are applying for PR are aiming for at least a level nine. That seems to be a very common benchmark. And the scores on CELPIP are actually correlated against the Canadian language benchmarks anyway. We call those CLBs for short. And if you've ever taken a language settlement class or such, you you might be quite familiar with that scoring process. So CELPIP, again, has been designed that way for familiarity, for sure. Absolutely. When individuals are looking to immigrate to Canada and they're not in the country, at a very bare minimum, a CLB9 is what they need to, to hit. And uh, it is easy with the CELPIP because the scores that you get are right aligned with the Canadian language benchmark, unlike the other uh, testing organizations, which sometimes they have to be converted. So that makes it a lot easier for test takers right off the bat. But yeah, the there's this sweet spot where if you hit a CLB9, then you get these bonus points that uh, that really start to rack up and they make a huge difference. They create a, a really, really large gap between those who have that CLB9, and that's in every ability. So that's reading, writing, speaking, and listening. 
And it's, uh, right. yeah, it's definitely the, the goal that people shoot for. Now, when people are in Canada, ironically, there's other ways to get point, points to, to compensate for a little bit lower scores, but really that's what people are shooting for. So, mm-hmm. so I guess let's dive in a little bit deeper here and let's get some insight that this isn't going to be readily apparent everywhere else. So when, when, when the Raiders are, are assessing the language skills, um, you know, what are they looking for in, in the writing and the speaking responses? Are there any things that you can kind of highlight or tips that you can provide for test takers to help them prepare? Absolutely. So let's start off with the speaking. As I mentioned, there are eight tasks to complete, and the speaking is actually the very last part of the CELPIP exam anyway. So when the raters listen to those recordings that you've made, they're really listening intently for four key categories of skills, let's call them. So the very first thing they want to assess immediately is your content details. So in order to achieve at least a level nine, the name of the game is complexity. That's the magic word that I try to really drill into a lot of my own viewers and my webinars as well. So complexity can be created by using very specific details and choosing our words very precisely. So I'll give you an example of what I mean there. Um, In some of our speaking tasks, you might be shown a picture and you'll be asked to describe what's happening in that picture in the moment. Well, in that picture, you're probably going to see many different people and somebody who continues to refer to each person in the scene as the person, the person, the man, the people, the person. You can imagine, first of all, how general and common that word choice would be and also how repetitive it is. So again, to crack that level nine or higher, we want to really, I guess, extend our vocab and think about precise choices. So is the person you're looking at, is that a senior citizen? Is it a grocery store clerk? Is it a young toddler with his mother? So all of those words, as I say them out loud here now, you can close your eyes and imagine what that person looks like. Whereas if I just said to you, the person is checking out their groceries, the idea is accurate, all right, but it certainly doesn't give that detail that the Raiders are looking for. So I think looking at the elements of your content ideas and then really supporting them with strong, specific word choices, those two categories go very well together to help us demonstrate that complexity that the Raiders are really looking for to help you earn that level nine or even higher, depending. (laughs) Okay, here I go. Okay, so this would be an example of a very generic response. The people on the podcast talked about immigration. And then to try to get CLB9, I would say, and the immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, and his phenomenal guest, Brandy Robb, were having a fascinating discussion about the intricacies of the Canadian English language testing system called CELPIP, and both were having a delightful time. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I particularly like the word choice, phenomenal guest. Oh, that was wonderful, yes. Mark. <laughs> yeah, I saved that up. I was thinking about how to work that word in, one of the large words that I know. <laughs> wonderful. That's right. And actually, what you ended up doing there, by the way, too, is you also inadvertently demonstrated yet another skill that the Raiders are looking for. So there's this one category of skills that in speaking, we simply refer to as listenability. It's not really a real word, <laughs> but listenability encompasses your public speaking skills. But part of that is actually the grammar and the sentence structure. So again, on your speaking test, there's no transcript. The raters just listen to your recording and they give you a score uh, accordingly to your skill set. 
but they can tell if you're speaking in short, simple sentences, or if you're taking the effort to combine those short ideas together to create these longer, more complex sentences. So clearly from your opening generic introduction mark, that was quite simple. By the time you added in all those other details, I think that was one or two sentences, that whole second example you gave us. So you're using these connecting words to create these interesting and, and complex structures, which again is what we need to do to get up into that, that level nine or even higher on a consistent basis too. <laughs> so well done. You've demonstrated three skills just off the top of your head. <laughs> I would turn on my uh, my applause. I don't think I have. Let's see. Oh. The, the crowd is excited too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking, I don't know if you'd be up for it or not, but mm -hmm. I do have a practice test question from a, from a speaking part of the test that I thought maybe I could share with our listeners. And then maybe you and I can bounce ideas off of each other to really demonstrate how we would even consider some of our content details. Are you up for that challenge Absolutely today? Absolutely am. And in fact, Brandy, why don't we go to a quick little commercial break for our sponsor here and then when we come back you can introduce that question and and let's uh suss it out how's that sound sounds good okay this episode of the canadian immigration podcast is sponsored by the canadian immigration institute one of the best sources of video content on Canadian immigration to help you navigate your way through the Canadian immigration process. Head on over to the YouTube channel where there's tons of video content and you can join Mark, yes, myself, in a number of live video streams, Q&As, all designed to help you navigate your way through this crazy Canadian immigration process. When you're done there, like and subscribe and then head on over to the Canadian Immigration Institute.com where you can find all those awesome DIY courses that I've been talking about. Thank you, Canadian Immigration Institute. You are the sponsor of this amazing little podcast. All right, Brandy, I am ready. So let's start off with oh. this little sample we're going to work through. Sounds good. So again, on the real test, of course, you would see the question in front of you on the computer screen the entire time you're talking. In this podcast, I'm simply going to read the question aloud and we'll, we'll focus on the key points and go from there. So this question says, by the way, this is a speaking task one question. There are of the eight tasks, most of the time you're speaking for 60 seconds but there are two tasks that ask you to speak aloud for 90 seconds. And I mentioned that because task one is a 90 second response. So we do have to come up with just a few other details to fill that time. So I thought I better mention that first. And task one is always going to ask you to give advice to somebody. So it's probably a friend or a colleague or something to that effect. So here's our question that we're going to look at right now. The question says, a friend wants to travel around the country for two weeks this summer. He doesn't have much money for transportation or accommodation. Give him advice on what he should do to travel cheaply. So we'll just let that sink in for a moment. Mm. We're talking to a friend. It's a male friend. The name in, in the question's not been given, but it says give him advice. So Mark, when we start this question, I think again, to be very specific for the readers, we're going to just create a man's name as if that's the person we're talking to. 
And this is also a friend. So again, part of our score is based on our tone. So when we're speaking to a friend, it's okay to be a little more casual. We might use some idiomatic language and so on. And as long as the expressions we use in our response make sense, the raters will be more than happy with us. So we're giving money-saving tips basically to this friend, specifically about transportation and accommodation. So again, on the test, you have a short amount of time to prepare. You're given paper and pen in the testing room. So you're welcome to write down some key points. I think uh, while we're talking here, Mark, we're not going to worry about time. We're just going to take our grand old time and make sure our listeners know all the skills that we're trying to demonstrate. So before we just jump right into the money-saving tips, can I suggest we anchor the scene? I would always tell our test takers to try to draw from their own life experience because if you've taken a vacation anywhere in the world, maybe you have one upcoming that you've been planning, if you are using those ideas that you already know about, it's going to be so much easier to deliver a very specific response. So first off, can we have our friend's name, Mark? I'll let you pick the name. <laughs> Who oh, are we talking to? Um, Larry. Larry. Okay. It can be a real name. It doesn't matter who it is, but we've made up the name Larry. Now the question tells us it's a two week summer vacation. Please do not do this. Don't start your response by saying, Larry, you are traveling around the country for two weeks this summer. That's what the test question says. So don't fall into the trap of just reading right out from the question because you're not demonstrating your wonderful vocabulary. So instead of generally suggesting it's a two week summer vacation, Summer is June to August, more or less, right? From a Canadian standpoint, anyhow. Theoretically. Um, Mark, let's pinpoint. Yeah, theoretically, exactly. Uh, when is Larry traveling? It's our friend, so we would know when he's going. Yeah, I think. So let's make this up. Yeah, so we'll say the beginning of July. So July, we'll say, we'll say the 7th to maybe the 21st if it's two weeks. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so we know he's going in July. And I think the most important point for our introduction is where. The question on the test just says he wants to travel around the country. That's far too general. So we need to have a focus. So can you pick a place that you're familiar with? Yeah, you've been before? Larry is going to Charlottetown. He's going to Prince Edward Island. That's where he's going for sure. Oh, wonderful. Okay, I happen to have been there myself. So hopefully I'll be more help now as we mm -hmm. come up with our details together. Right. So here's your your routine or your your setup, if you will, for your questions. I think it's helpful to give one sentence as an introduction. I think a good story in a way or a good response has a very interesting introduction. So one sentence is all it takes. We might, this is a friend, so we might say, Larry, fantastic. I hear you're going to be spending two weeks in July in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. I'm so excited for you. That could be all it takes to open the scene. And because he's our friend and we're giving advice, we want to sound excited. Part of your score comes from your tone. So our tone of voice needs to match the word choice that we're making. When you give advice, you're trying to be helpful. So please sound like you're enthused for your friend. So once we've set the stage, we now have to introduce the main topic. We want to focus the listener's attention immediately. And the whole point of this question is to give money-saving tips for transportation or accommodation. So we've got Larry going to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island two weeks in July. Might we then say, you know, vacationing is a lot of fun, but it's expensive. And I do have some advice I can share with you to help you save money on both transportation and accommodation. So there, we've got two sentences done. We've introduced, we've also now established specifically what we're talking about. So that type of, of speech delivery, I think comes more on the spot. You're not going to write that down before you start to speak because you won't have time. 
So as you practice at home, try following that routine, if you will. Think of your introduction, establish the purpose. It's almost like having a topic sentence when you're writing. And now you're ready for the meat of the question. So this, Mark, is where I hope you and I can break down these two categories of transportation and accommodation. We'll start with transportation. Brandy, can I jump uh, in? A, can, hey, Brandy, can I jump yeah. in and ask a quick question? So how much time do the people have to prepare this little notes to guide this spontaneous, you know, response? Like, do, do they have like five minutes and one minute or how much time do they have to? In a few cases, you'll have a minute. There are two tasks that give you one minute. But in most cases, like this question, you've got 30 seconds. Ooh. 30 seconds is all. Yeah, it's fast. That's why we're saying if you've got a plan and a routine to follow when you go in, it's going to be faster. So again, 30 seconds includes the length of time it takes to read that question and then to start firing off your ideas. So I think effectively in that prep time during the test is where you really want to think of the actual advice for transportation and accommodation. And write down a couple of keywords. Once you've got those notes in front of you, that's where the, the skill of taking those words and establishing sentences from them is helpful. So yeah, hopefully we haven't stressed everybody out by imagining the, the short amount of prep time. <laughs> well, like you said, if you are well, if you're well prepared, then it's going to work out just fine, right? It's when you're when you've yeah. got those routines that things just you've done it so many times that you just get into you know auto uh, auto play. You're you're going to be able to deal right. with it a lot easier than not knowing where to start. So it's all about a plan, right? Right. And again, basing your responses on your real life experience, I think it helps you come up with these ideas so much more quickly. So that's partly why I said pick a place that you know a little bit about. Um, arguably, now you're in Calgary, is that I right? I am. Mark? I am. So we're on the West okay. Coast. Let's say Larry's out here with yeah. us too. That's a big difference. Yeah. I was going to say that. So let's just assume that Larry is flying from Calgary into Charlottetown over on the East Coast of Canada. So when we're talking about transportation, I think immediately you can start brainstorming just methods of transportation. So airfare would be the big one. You, you've got maybe buses, trains, taxi cabs, rental cars. You're not going to have time to talk about every method of transportation out there. You've got 90 seconds. You have to split your time between transportation and accommodation. But step one here for this question, I think we absolutely must discuss the airfare because that's going to be the most expensive part anyways. So Mark, have you, I don't know the last time you traveled, I know pandemic restrictions are easing, which is good news. Have you taken a vacation in recent times? And, yeah. and what would be some ways to save the money on the airfare? Any yeah. ideas? Well, first off, you're going, to, you're going to try to book that flight as early as you possibly can. So it's yeah, essential exactly. to plan well in advance because if you leave it to the last moment, the, the flights uh, are going to be far more expensive than if you book well in advance. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So again, just to kind of um, use a step-by-step -step approach on the test, your first piece of advice for how to save money on transportation, on your piece of paper, you'd probably write down book early. That's all you need to write down during that time. And that will give you the idea. And Mark, you've done a fine job of taking that idea and expanding upon it. Um, I would suggest adding even a little more detail. So you're saying book early, book well in advance. If you book at the last minute, of course, the prices increase. That's more specific, but let's step up the detail even further. If sure. we say to Larry, you know, do your research now in January because traveling right after Christmas, oftentimes you'll get better deals. And whereas if you wait until July when you're summertime is high season and your airfare might be hundreds of dollars more expensive. 
So it's taking the idea you presented, which was already a great one, but we're adding in sort of the, the months that we might be traveling. We're mm -hmm. looking at the amount of money we can save. So again, the more detail that fits into your response and comes to you naturally, the better your chances of climbing that score chart ladder, I think of, to get to the level nine. So that's great. We've got airfare. There are lots of other things we could do for airfare, but we might not have time to talk about them all. Um, I was thinking about setting notifications on your on your phone if you're tracking a price and therefore when the prices fall, you get alerted. So we could draw that in. Is there anything else that comes to mind for for airfare anyway? Well, just, you know, when you're tracking flights, being flexible maybe with your dates a little bit when you're booking the flight. Is it advantageous? Because yeah. sometimes if you fly in a, you know, earlier in the week or fly back on the weekend, it can also help to um, get better deals than maybe flying, you know, at the times when people are yeah. mostly looking to fly. Yeah, this is true. I'm thinking of, again, because we are planning this in Canada trip, we're familiar with the airlines. So we might mention even um, if you have So that would be a very precise example, again, of saving some money, knowing the airlines. Now, on the real test, if you don't actually know the names of the airlines, that's OK. Make it up. The Raiders are not really fussed with the accuracy of the name of the airline you're discussing. But I think as long as you sort of insert the name, it's going to, uh, again, just improve the, the precise quality of your response is all. So that's your airfare. I would say probably you'd have time for one, maybe two details. As you're talking on the test, by the way, there is a timer on your computer screen and it's going to count down from the 90 seconds. So you have until it hits zero to finish your answer. So please don't spend you know, a minute and 10 seconds talking just about transportation. You do have to be adaptable and shift gears to get into the others and the accommodation. Okay, um, let's just let's just finish a few details for transportation. Though we've got airfare. Once he gets to Charlottetown, what are what are the most likely methods he's going to use to get around the city or even see the rest of the province? Yeah. So absolutely, we need to consider renting a vehicle, renting a car, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. or potentially if he decides to stay in Charlottetown, then maybe he wouldn't need to have a rental. But if they wanted to see places, then he'd need to look at, you know, going on tours or things like that to see the other locations if he didn't have a vehicle. So those would be a couple factors to look at. Yeah. And then I know um, rental car agencies can be quite expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hard pressed right now to think of a money saving tip. You're kind of stuck with whatever the prices are that they give you, I guess, right? Well, here's another tip. And now there are um, private vehicle rental companies. Um, and uh, that's what we used when we went to PEI this past year. Um, Turo is the name of one of them, which is uh, you can actually right. rent from an individual and just rent their car right from them because there were no vehicles available from the regular um, vehicle rentals because of the pandemic and a shortage of supply. So, and it was cheaper too. So that's another tip. Yep. Fantastic. And that's all based on your own experience. Mm -hmm. And that's great too. Um, I think as you're talking about the first half of this question, which is transportation and saving money there, we want to somehow transition naturally over to the idea of accommodation. We can't leave that out. And part of our score that the Raiders are really looking for is how smoothly all the ideas connect. So try to end your discussion of transportation on a, on a note that connects readily. And an idea that just came to my mind as you were speaking there, Mark, 
I know Charlottetown's a, a relatively small city in the grand scheme of things, but I might say, you know, if you could even book an accommodation nearby the attractions that you're interested in seeing, you're actually going to save money on transportation in the long run because you could very likely explore more by foot. So you don't even need to worry about renting a vehicle if you're in walking distance. So we are talking about saving money on transportation, but we're now segueing quite naturally over to accommodation. So that would be a nice way to, to connect the dots, if you will, and get us over to the second part of this conversation. Um, yeah. Absolutely. All right. What yes. about, can we think about accommodation? Like, where did you stay when you were there in Charlottetown? Yep. How did you... So we chose not to stay in Charlottetown. We chose because my wife really wanted to see Green Gables. So we found uh -huh. a place to stay over there. So for that exact reason, we did not have to drive. We could walk to the locations. It saved us money. And over um, in that area of, of uh, Prince Edward Island, it was also kind of central. So if we wanted to explore, we did have a rental vehicle. So if we wanted to explore, you know, the island, it was kind of central. So we never had to travel all the way across the island to go somewhere. It was always just kind of halfway. So. Perfect. Perfect. And again, you're drawing on your own experience. And I like inserting details about, oh, Green Gables is there. We'd be talking to Larry and explaining in Charlottetown, you know, when I was there, you could even say when my wife and I visited there last year, this is what we did. This might be helpful to you. So all of these transitions, I think, again, are helping with the coherence as well. Um, as far as accommodation goes as well, when I visited Charlottetown, it was many moons ago. I was in university and I drove from northern Ontario all the way over to Charlottetown. Mm -hmm. The Confederation Bridge had just opened at that yes. time. So we hopped in a car. Yeah, my sister and two friends. And we drove the trip. It took us 22 hours to get there. When we arrived, we actually camped. So I don't know what Larry is into, but we could suggest that as another option. You know, Larry, you are going in July. It's going to be quite sunny and warm in Prince Edward Island at that time. So you might book a, a nicer hotel for a few days of your, your trip, but why not consider um, camping? There are lots of established campgrounds there and you're going to uh, save hundreds of dollars if you do book uh, an overnight campsite versus booking a, a four or five star hotel. So that's something else that comes just from my own personal experience there, but it fits this question quite nicely, mm -hmm. talking about the types of accommodation Absolutely. that are available to us. Yep. So that's great. Yeah. So again, you've got probably in 90 seconds, there's no rule about how many pieces of advice you have to have. That's not going to automatically increase or decrease your score. What the raters need to see evidence of, though, is that you've got a very completely delivered answer. This is one whole category on its own that we call task fulfillment. So they're looking to see how fully and how completely we've answered the question. So that involves, again, balancing our time. We don't want to say four things about transportation savings and then only have time for one detail about accommodation. That won't help our score quite as much as if we could balance it more equally for sure. The length of time we're talking is part of the score as well. So we don't have to fill 90 seconds exactly, but we want to get pretty close to that. So even if we finish up, say, in one minute, 25 seconds, as long as we've answered that question very fully, the raters will be happy with that. They're not going to penalize our score as a result of being five seconds too short. So I think that's helpful, too. Um, I think the hard part, too, when we're on a time crunch is somehow wrapping up the entire response. So we talked about structure when we opened this. You know, we, we interest our listener with the who's going on holiday and when. 
We focus on what we're talking about, which is saving money for transportation and accommodation. We're giving advice with details, advice with details. We're following that template all the way through for transportation and accommodation. The last part of that content and structure would be a concluding remark. So this is a friend, right? And again, we're excited. So what would be natural to you, Mark, to wind this all down? What would you say to Larry as your last moment before he jets off to the East Coast? <laughs> Larry, you are going to have a fantastic time in Prince Edward Island. I wish I was coming with you. I can't wait to hear all about it when you get back. Perfect, perfect. So again, what you're doing there is you're supporting your tone. Once again, we're giving advice to Larry because he's a friend and we sincerely want to help him. And that came across not just in your tone of voice, but also in the word choice that you created. So that's actually going to support your score there as well. So nicely done. Um, I know we've covered a lot of the basics of the skills. One other skill set, uh, again, that the raters need to assess is our ability to speak publicly. And this is where our pronunciation is key. So again, Mark and I have the advantage in a sense that English, I believe, is our first language, right? Both <laughs> yes. <of us? laughs> Indeed. Yes. Now, do you speak other languages, Mark? Portuguese. I so I, I speak Portuguese oh. as a second language, but uh, okay. it's definitely not okay. as refined as, as my English, of course. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And I'm in the same boat. French is my second language and I can get by. But if I were to deliver this response in French, clearly it would be a lot more work on my part. So uh, one question I get all the time from my test takers is they're concerned that if they have a different accent, they're concerned if that's going to lower their score as they're speaking. And I tell them, absolutely not. First of all, if you've been to Canada, you can see what a multicultural society we are. Uh, we both, Mark and I both live in big cities. So I can't leave my neighborhood without hearing at least five different accents or dialects from the people around me. And that's wonderful. So we celebrate that here uh, for the most part. So the accent's wonderful. It's not the accent that you're speaking with that determines whether people can understand you. It's where we're stressing the words. So that's really all it boils down to is focusing on our pronunciation and which part of the word to actually put the stress on. And one strategy I can provide for our listeners to help them really fine tune their speaking practice. I would encourage you to get a hold of some practice questions. We're doing one together today. We've got two free practice tests right on our website as well at cellpip.ca. So I would suggest getting access to these free test questions for practice. Approach them like Mark and I have been doing today. We're bouncing ideas off of each other and thinking about how we structure those, those responses. But then deliver that answer all by yourself. Find somewhere where you're comfortable speaking aloud. And I would strongly recommend you record your voice as you practice. Just use your cell phone and speak into it. You know, see if you can fill 90 seconds in this case for a, an advice question. And once you've delivered that, listen to the recording you've made so you can assess how clearly you're speaking. More importantly, I'm going to encourage you to get a trusted friend or family member who has no problem telling you the honest truth <laughs> and get them to listen to your practice and ask them honestly if they can understand the words that you're saying. So once you've got the green light there, if your pronunciation is clear enough, that's step one. I think if we're not speaking clearly enough and we can't catch the words, it's really hard then to even assess the content details on the vocab. So pronunciation is key. I'll also mention that remember you're speaking into a microphone. So you don't have to yell into the mic, please don't, but you need to speak at a comfortable volume. Make sure the microphone is correctly recording your voice. 
and your speed as well, I think is another foundational skill. So we don't want to rush the words, but we also don't want to speak so slowly that you have no time to get your details out. So these are things to work on. Um, I think with any public speaker, regardless of what language we're talking in, I think, again, to deliver this entire response from beginning to end, one of the biggest challenges at first is moving the response forward smoothly with few pauses and few interjections. I don't know if you've ever been to a live public speech and somebody keeps saying, um, uh, um, uh, you know, it happens. But if we say, um, in just about every sentence, it starts to really interfere with the rhythm and the flow of the response. And nine times out of 10, it's going to frustrate the listener and distract them. So we do, that's part of the score. The raters want to see how smoothly or how fluently, how natural your rhythm is from beginning to end. And that does take practice. But I think again, the more, more time we put into developing our vocabulary, the more words you have in, in your memory banks, I call it, the, the less likely it is you'll be stumbling over those words and you'll be able to deliver a more succinct response. So those, those skills all work in tandem, right? Uh, together to help you help you approach this with success and confidence. That's the name of the game. Oh, that's awesome, Brandy. You've really whet, I think, everybody's appetites. And like I said before, we'll make sure that there are links that you can click on in the show notes to access some of these practice tests and get access to uh, a lot of the other YouTube videos and training that Brandy has done. Um, obviously, in the world of language testing, there are other companies out there, but are there any features or benefits per se <clears throat> that that you know that you would you would like to point out with the cell pip <clears throat> for people who are looking to to decide which test they're going to take is there any that you'd like to mention at this time for sure so i think again uh, the fact that this entire test is taken in one sitting so the benefit of delivering the speaking responses on your own in front of your computer you don't have to book a separate appointment on a different day with say a, an interviewer so to speak to complete the test so although it is a long exam, you, you go in, you write it, and you're finished in that one day and you leave. The turnaround time for the scores are very quick as well. So you will have your score results within five calendar days after you've completed the test. So you'll be notified that you can access the score report in your online CELPIP account, and you can download the PDF copy of that score report as well. So those are great benefits too. We have a wealth of, as I mentioned, free materials as well that our test takers can certainly take advantage of. We pride ourselves in that. And again, one of my jobs as an online instructor, I'm also a content developer. So I help to write a lot of these materials and, uh, and design them with the test takers in mind. A lot of our deliveries are based on questions we get routinely from our test takers and really tackling some of the harder parts of the test as well. So again, we have lots of free materials I can mention. I don't know if you want me to give you a list now. Yeah, I can certainly well, highlight some. Well, what we'll do, yeah, please highlight, and then we'll make sure that we provide links so that people can access them easily. Okay, sounds good. So we do have uh, eight different webinars that people can take for free. The webinars are about two hours long each, so it's an honest, uh, a, a true length lesson, if you will. You would register for these on our website and attend via Zoom. So you'll have one instructor teaching the lesson. There is a PowerPoint slide deck with lots of visuals to follow. And you can ask your questions in live time and have them answered there as well. So you can, I'd love to have you on for any of our webinars. Again, our YouTube channel is called Cell Pip Official. We've got lots of series posted there, but the one that we do live every month is called Cell Pip Live. 
So again, sometimes we have guest speakers like immigration specialists. We should consider having Mark on our love show to. sometime. I would maybe. love to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, you'll have other test takers there giving tips and explaining their experiences and so on. But we have lots and lots of language instructional episodes too. And these episodes are shorter. So maybe eh, 20 minutes to 45 minutes, give or take, depends on the scope of the project. So all of these episodes are actually organized by playlist. So if you've got time, set aside your time to study, you know, poke onto our, our YouTube channel. If you wanted to look at listening, find the listening playlist and you'll see tons and tons of past episodes that we have delivered that are, that are uploaded there. Um, I think the speaking and writing components do create some added anxiety because we're producing the skills. So a lot of my test takers say, I want to know what a level 12 speaking looks like, or I want to see what a level 12 writing looks like. And we have samples. We have sample speaking responses and writing responses from real test takers who completed the self-pip test in the past. And we've uploaded them onto our website. We call this a score comparison chart. So you can click on the level 12 area. You can then view the, the student's actual response. You know what score they earned for that, but you're also going to read the Raiders notes. The Raiders are going to summarize the strengths and the weaknesses of every single response there. So it's just another free way to see what you would need to do in order to earn a score in that ballpark. So again, level nine is a huge benchmark. Spend some time looking at those responses that earned a level nine. And you'll see a couple of different ways where, where that's possible. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. So somebody might have fantastic vocabulary, but they need to spend more time on developing their answers with detail. That's, you know, whereas others of us might have tons and tons of detail, but we're using simple generic vocabulary. So you're going to see different ways to, of, of earning these different scores. So those are really, really good free ones to do. We do have other PDF downloads that you can access, like a study guide and so on. So I won't go too much more into that because I think if you spent some time on the website, you'll be able to, to browse at it at your leisure. But yeah, please do take advantage. Um, we have social media posts as well on our, our TikTok, on our Instagram and so on and Facebook even. So yeah, lots of free ways to get your your study support if you have the time to, uh, to do so. <laughs> That's wonderful. So when someone starts their journey, how early should people start to prepare for taking the test? Ooh, uh, that would depend a little bit on, I guess, your current level of English, for sure. So somebody who's been studying English for quite some time and already has a strong foundation, you might only need a month or so to attend our webinars and get familiar with the structure of the CELPIP test itself. Take some of our free practice tests. There are two free practice tests available to you. So once you've done that, if you're comfortable, you might be ready to move on and take your test. Other people, though, if they are more at the beginner level of English, they've only been studying for a short amount of time, they'll likely need much more time, likely months to develop the proficiency necessary. And again, it depends on your goal. I mean, those of us that are applying for citizenship, most people are looking for about a level five. So level five, of course, is much easier to achieve than a level nine. You're not as focused so much on all of those complex structures we were discussing. So again, it, it's quite subjective based on your own ability level, based on your own uh, score goal, and also on your, your life obligations. As adults, we're busy. We have families, we have jobs, we've got other things happening. So I think if we could somehow find, I would be so happy if we could set aside three days a week, even 45 minutes each session, somehow on your own to study um, and build up that routine. I think you'll probably meet your goals a lot more easily if you've got that structure. So that's what I'd recommend if you can. Again, I know it's hard, but try your best to have a 
a typical study routine that you can follow each week. That is great. That's super advice. You know, and as you're talking and we kind of chatted about this a little bit before when we were preparing uh, for recording this podcast, but I think I'm going to write this test. I think I'm going to go through it and experience it for myself because I can't tell you how many times I have consultations with clients and I say, oh, you've got an eight in writing. All you need to do is just bump it up to nine and you'll be good and you'll get all these bonus points. But I have no clue what it really takes to go from an eight to a nine or what it even takes to to score a 12, you know, when I see people providing the reports to me. And I think it would be a lot of fun to have kind of a little bit of a series where we go through my journey and I, uh, you know, use the materials and study and prepare and take it. And I think people will realize that, you know, the the scores that you get, um, yes, they're based on your previous experience with, with English, but there's strategies to this. And even as an English speaker, I have had clients who've come from Texas, a CEO from a big oil company who's had to write the test and uh, you know, or, or other, um, you know, other professionals, and they have not scored 12 on the exam just because they are a native English speaker. So that's why it's so important to prepare. And the, the, it really helps to level the playing field a little bit. Um, you may not be as fluent in terms of your uh, use of the language, but if you employ the strategies that Brandy has, is teaching and you really understand what the CELPIP um, uh, test is, is trying to, you know, trying to determine you're going to be much more able to reach your goals. So, Yes, yes. And that is a fair point to make. I mean, just because we, we have people from countries all over the world, of course, that speak English as a first language. So the states being one, Australia, Ireland, you name it. Just because English is our first language, we have that benefit, I suppose, with vocabulary and speech delivery. But when it comes to understanding what the test question is asking us to demonstrate, those are those foundational skills that everybody needs to be uh, to learn in advance of taking this test. And that oftentimes does make a big difference in a successful score. So I think that's a great idea, Mark. It would be wonderful to have you try yeah. this test yourself and you can let us know and the, the listeners know as well you bet. Uh, the the challenges you face and the success stories that you achieve. As well, well, I'm thinking of, of creating kind of like a journey, a video journey, and actually post episodes on the YouTube channel talking about my experience. I think I think would be really, really valuable and like I said, as an immigration lawyer, I just make certain assumptions and assume, okay, well, it, it's probably not going to be that difficult for me. But I know my experience going through and, and doing, you know, professional uh, examinations and, you know, writing the LSAT and things like that. And I knew where my struggles were. And I'm not so sure I would get 12 on every area. So we will see how it plays out. But I think it would be fun to document and share that journey with people. And when it comes to finding out more information about the CELPIP test, you've, you've identified a lot of different areas already and we'll make sure for the listeners that those links are in the show notes. So make sure you click on those, Great. check it out. And I'm also looking forward, Brandy, to having you join me on a live uh, session on the YouTube channel as well, where people can ask questions directly and, and that'll be a lot of fun. So thank you so much, Brandy. Yeah. I really appreciate you joining me today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I look forward to uh, to our, uh, a lie. That would be lots of fun. Sounds like a great idea. Count me in. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, everybody. We will see you again in another episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. 
your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration. Here on the Canadian